I kind of got some chills this morning with, and you're about to see. But the, the words of the testimonies today are directly in line with what God has for us. And I did not want to bypass this moment. I, I felt like the Spirit was impressing upon me that we needed to stop um, for a moment and just focus in on what He has for us. I, I shared with Carrie this morning that I felt like this is our last message in the book of James. And he kind of laughed was like, are you sure? For real? Because he likes to make fun of me about how long we stay in books. Um, I, I want to remind us briefly of what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about integrity and authenticity and how important that is to the body of Christ, but also to the ministry of the church. Um, and, and this morning what you have heard is that. It's people sharing what they're struggling with in their life and the way that the Lord is speaking to those things. Last week we talked about three different kinds of prayer that James identifies or areas or people that, that pray. And we talked about praying for ourselves. We talked about prayer coming from the elders over people. And then we talked about praying for one another. And I had some conversations this week on the heels of that message with a couple of different people about prayer and their struggles with feeling like they were praying in a way that was good enough. And I want to remind us, we're not going to read through these this morning, but I put up um, two different versions um, of Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, where one of the disciples, after Jesus prays, he says, teach us to pray like, the, like John taught his disciples how to pray. And we know this prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We've, we've said it a lot. Anna put it up there. This is the NKJV. This is most like what most of us learned as we grew up in church. In verse 2, he says, He said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you look at it in the NLT, it's, it's a little bit more like we speak today, and I wanted to read it that way as well. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. This prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, that he's teaching us, is one that is simple. It doesn't need to be extravagant or long. Matter of fact, I was having a conversation with another pastor this week who said, I've learned that when praying in public, shorter is always better than longer. And he's not wrong. But Jesus identifies five things. He says that we should pray that his name be kept holy that his kingdom would come soon, that we would ask for the food required for the day, for the forgiveness for ourselves and for others, and to keep us from temptation. I'll tell you, there are times when I pray, and it's very formal in this way, but there are other times where I am simply talking with God about what is happening in the moment, where it's not formal. It's as if I'm talking to a friend, and, and we know what that feels like. We have best friends who often we will uh, approach with a hello and a hug or a handshake or however you're comfortable doing that. But then there are other times where something is on your mind and you forego all of those things. And as soon as you see one another, you dive right into the depths of the conversation. And both of those are good. Both of those are healthy. 
Prayer is simply a way for us to communicate with God. It's, it's talking, just like we do with our friends. And I wanted to take the time this morning to walk through that because as James closes out this letter, he makes a plea to the church. And this plea is heartfelt, but it requires that we work in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what James is asking. We cannot do it if we are unclear on what it means to pray or to hear from God. This task requires that we pray for one another. Without prayer, without the leading of the Holy Spirit, we cannot accomplish what James is asking us to do. So look at these last two verses with me. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. He says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. As the church is learning what it means to be a follower of Christ, as they are hashing out what they believe, remember we've talked about that a lot, as the church that James is writing this letter to, as they are figuring out what it means to be the church, there were some who were swayed in the wrong direction. James ends this letter by urging the church not to give up on one another. Jesus didn't give up on us, and we should not give up on one another either. Today I titled the message, Care for Your Brothers and Sisters. I had a friend call me last week. He and his wife, and y'all don't know this person, so don't worry, I'm not going to incriminate them. But he and his wife have been through a tough time recently. The last couple of years, their marriage has been really, really rocky. And he reached out to me this week with some great news. They're going to have a, a new baby, which is always exciting. And so on the heels of that, because I knew things had recently been very rocky, I said, how are things going with your wife? He said, man, they're incredible. I said, really, what changed? He said, well, you, you may not have experienced this before. He said, but have you ever thought that you really understood something only to find out later that you didn't? And like people would try to tell me that I didn't understand what I thought I understood, but I just couldn't hear them. And then all of a sudden the light bulb came on and it all made sense. And I said, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's called learning. And he said, something, I learned something new about my relationship with my wife, and it's changed everything. My friend couldn't see it, but I rolled my eyes as he was telling me that story because we have had a very similar conversation a lot over the course of his life. What my friend experienced is not all that different from what the church that James is writing to was going through. There were some in the church who thought they understood what it meant to be a follower of Christ. But James is saying to the other church members that they had, there are some things that they've misunderstood. Look at verse 19 again. He says, my brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back. So what we see obvious is that somebody has strayed or some people. And James doesn't say that it was a deliberate stray or accidental, but either way he tells the church to turn them back. So the first point I want to make today is that we are asked to bring brothers and sisters back into the fold, back to right understanding. James doesn't spell out for us what he calls truth that he's describing in this passage, but what we do know, broadly speaking, is he re he's referring to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there was an issue in belief about who Jesus was and what he was calling us to do. Some uh, had chosen to believe what was incorrect, and that was significant enough for James to include it at the end of his letter. He closes his letter by saying, look, if there are some among you who have gone the wrong way, brothers and sisters, bring them back. 
It's critical that the church has a proper understanding of the gospel. One of the, the commentaries I read this week said that what the mind thinks, the mouth confesses, the body must do. Anything less is worldly, sinful, double-mindedness. We see twice in the letter, we've talked about James talking about double-minded. Once in the first chapter, he says, being double-minded and unstable in his ways. And then also in chapter 4, verse 8, so I'll draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James has been saying all throughout this letter that we cannot be double-minded, meaning you can't You either believe what's true or you don't. You can't, both cannot exist. You can't pick and choose which parts of the gospel you want to be true and which parts you don't. In 1 John uh, chapter 1 verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Church, if our theology, and theology is just a fancy way of saying what we believe about God, if our theology is not correct, and we are sharing it with others, we are walking in darkness and leading them in darkness because we are not practicing the truth. We see this happen in the world all around us. There's a particular denomination right now that is splitting because of this very thing. Many in leadership have chosen to believe and are teaching things that are contrary to Scripture. And the result of that decision is people being led astray and others walking away from the church. And this is what James is is talking about. When we follow truth that is not true according to Scripture, according to God, then we are walking in darkness. And it's easy to look at those people and point fingers. But the SBC is not without its missteps, right? We've made our fair share of mistakes. And those decisions affect the ministry of all churches, not just SBC. It's easy to obey the law when it fits into our morality or our cultural expectations. But what about those things that kind of live in the gray area of our lives? Those things that are technically sins, but society has kind of silently agreed that they're okay. When we start giving in to sin and temptation, it is a very slippery slope. And James has already warned the church about how dangerous it is and easy to give in to temptation. In chapter 1, he says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Church, there's not a person alive today who has not faced temptation. Jesus himself faced temptation. The difference is whether or not we give in to that temptation. The point that the commentator was making about what we choose to believe is that it determines our actions A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about me is what I believe about God. And the reason he says that is because what we believe defines what we do. If you or I do fall into temptation and then decide to turn our backs on Jesus and the church, it is God's plan for our brothers and sisters to call us back. Which makes me ask the question, what does it look like to turn someone back? How do we go about that? Look at this example with me from the book of Luke. This is a story that we're all familiar with. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We're familiar with this story. Jesus is is warning Peter that he is going to go astray. He's going to deny Jesus. And Jesus says, I would never do that. Jesus says, you will. 
but I'm going to pray for you. And after it's done, come back. The result of Peter's turning back is the beginning of the church. All of us are going to make mistakes, but God can redeem us if we turn back. But there's an important part of the process that we cannot forget, and this is point number two, that we move as the Holy Spirit leads. Now this is where you're about to see the connections with all the testimony this morning. I'd run, I'll be the first to admit that daring, it's a bit daring to go to someone and tell them that they have strayed away. Whether they know it to be true or not, it is a bold statement to stand before someone and say that you are wrong. It feels real uh, judgy. You know what I'm saying? Everybody agree with that? So when, how, who should respond when someone has strayed away? In my experience, that duty is usually shifted to the pastor. But as we talked about last week, it's not just the pastor's job. Charles Spurgeon, I read a sermon that he wrote on this passage this week. Look what he said about this. He said, the texts give us clear indications as to the persons who are to aim at the conversation or conversion of erring brethren. It says, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. One what? One minister? No. Any one among the brethren. If the minister shall be the means of restoration of a backslider, he is a happy man and a good deed has been done. But there is nothing said here concerning preachers or pastors, not even a hint is given. It is left open to any one member of the church. And the plain inference, I think, is this, that every church member, seeing his brother err from the truth or err in practice, should set himself in the power of the Holy Spirit to this business of converting the special sinner from the error of his way. This is not just my job. This is our job. It's the job of the body to care for one another. And this is easier for us at TGP because we do community well. The reason that, that you guys were able to stand before us this morning and bear your hearts is because of the deep-rooted relationships that we have with one another. In church, it is our duty to look after one another. Should someone come to you in love, as Kara said, and correct you, receive that loving correction. Hear it in the way that it was intended. Another commentary made this comment, and it's so true and fitting of our discussion. He said, the goal of the faith of the Lord is maturity. But as James indicated earlier, everyone stumbles in his ways. And he's talking about James chapter 3, verse 2, where James says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to uh, also control the whole body. Church, we all stumble, right? We make mistakes. But our goal is maturity. And maturity only happens as we grow. And we only grow as we learn. And we only learn by gaining knowledge that comes through experience. I'll give you a couple of examples from my own life. One from this morning and one from the past. About a year ago, I made a joke during the sermon. I think it was about myself, but I don't remember for sure. But it was about someone's weight. And I got laughs. I felt good about it. Always just nice when people laugh at your jokes. That is until Michelle pulled me aside after the service and informed me that I was fat shaming. And my stomach sank. You ever, you ever have that feeling where you know you really messed up and it was publicly and everybody knows it but you? That's how I felt in the moment. While that was certainly not my intention, regardless, I had done what I had done. 
But rather than not saying anything and letting me flounder in my ignorance, Michelle lovingly spoke up. And I'm so thankful to have people like Michelle in my life that love me enough to tell me when I'm wrong. I did not understand when I made the joke that it would hurt others, but because of a friend that loves me, I know better. Now, this morning, we're doing the motions, and Carrie goes, well, i got to call you out. You did it wrong. It's important. We're not doing motions. We're doing sign language, and I was signing the wrong thing, and I know it seems silly, but God did that on purpose this morning to help us to see that it's okay to say, hey, you did something wrong. It's okay to stand right here and fuss at the pastor of the church and say, you did something wrong. That's okay. It's loving. We are called to love one another to the degree that we are willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of someone else. God has called us to take care of one another. And sometimes that means having hard conversations. Another commentator said, The command to remember with which the NIV begins this verse translates the Greek word gnoskito. That sounds like a like mosquito to me which is a third-person imperative of the verb gnosko. Y'all heard that one before? Which means to know. And it means let him know. As James reminded his readers of the purpose of trials at the beginning of this letter, you know, so here in the conclusion, he reminded them of the significance of restoration ministry. At the beginning of today of this message, I talked about prayer, and this is why. When we feel compelled to say something we should always pray pray for ourselves pray for one another make sure that we are correct in what we are seeing and then ask God to give us the words so that they come across in love but sometimes you need to stand right here in the moment and say hey you did it wrong do it right The reality is that none of us communicate in exactly the same way. And I think that's probably what Leah was describing this morning about she and David's struggle. She's frustrated and not feeling great about it. And David's over like, hey, everything's good. We had a hard conversation, right? It's a lot like me and my wife sometimes. We don't communicate the same way. And I'll tell you, it's terrifying to stand up here, sometimes because I'm afraid that what I'm going to say may or may not come out the way God wants you to hear it. The last thing I want to do is misrepresent him or to say something that's offensive. So I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do what he does. And that is to speak through me and for you to hear what he wants you to hear. And the same is true for all of us. That's not something that's unique to my relationship with God. He does that for all of us. But I want to say that pointing out someone's sin is never going to feel good. It's never going to be easy. But if God's asking you to do it, do it. We need to realize the significance of what God is asking us to do. In verse 20, he said, Let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, to get right perception of that passage, we need to understand that James is talking to people who call themselves believers. But as we all know by experience, there are oftentimes people in churches who think they were followers of Jesus who are not. And Paul is, or James is addressing that. But church, what we are being called to do could literally save someone's life. This is not a trivial matter. I I was thinking about this morning, and if we saw um, a toddler running towards that outlet with a fork in his hand, 
we are going to stop everything and keep that from happening, right? Because it's an emergency. And oftentimes in our lives, we will see people making decisions that are contrary to Scripture, and it could be a life or death thing. It could make all the difference in the world if you go, hold on, wait, can we talk about that for a moment? We need to have the same sense of urgency when we see our brothers and sisters straying or living in sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around with a pass to point out everyone's sin, right? I was thinking about this morning, Talitha years ago in a college class showed me a clip of, I don't know, it was a terrible Jesus movie, but somebody redubbed it, and Jesus is standing up and he's pointing at the crowd going, look at all these sinners. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's, yeah, okay. That's not really what Jesus was saying, but it was overdubbed and it was funny. That's not what God is calling us to do. He's not asking us to look around our congregation or our life group or our families and identify everybody's sin. There are going to be moments when we see someone do or say something and in that moment, God is going to tell us to either speak or to stay quiet. That's why I'm saying we need to pray about it. It's not up to us. It's not our job to be the judge. But it is our role to be a friend a brother or a sister in Christ. I, I thought it was amazing that, um, I, I don't plan this, I didn't watch the video for today before today, but we talked about Elijah praying for people and speaking words of truth that they did not want to hear. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. One of my commentaries brought up Elijah. The brother who restores another lays down his own life for the sake of others' life. The motive here is to rescue the rescue of the sinner from death, not one's own self. Church, our loving words, like Kara talked about this morning, of correction, are not for us. We're not saying those things to make us feel good, and we know that because it often does not feel good to say those things. And if someone comes to you with some loving words of correction, understand that they are not doing that out of a place of pride or because they want to make you feel bad. Because you know how it feels to have to say some of those things. Know that they are coming to you out of love. If you are tasked by God to speak to one another about, their, about another, about their wondering, do it in love and tell them what God is speaking. If someone comes to you and brings you into correction, know that it's coming from a place of love. Just put that in your mind. All of us should have a desire to have brothers and sisters like James is describing. People who love you enough to say, hey, I love you, but I think you're making a mistake. And then having the difficult conversation. At the end of his message, Charles Spurgeon said this on this passage. He said, God must use us. But oh, let us long to be used, pray to be used, and pine to be used. Dear brethren and sisters, let us purge ourselves of everything that would prevent our being employed by the Lord. If there is anything we are doing or leaving undone, any evil we are harboring, any grace that we are neglecting, which may make us unfit to be used by God, let us pray the Lord to cleanse and mend and scour us until we are vessels fit for the Master's use. Then let us be on watch for opportunities of usefulness. Let us go about the world with our ears and our eyes open, ready to avail ourselves of every occasion for doing good. Let us not be content till we are useful. 
but make this the main design and ambition of our lives. Church, we have the opportunity every day for God to develop us into a people of true faith. We've been talking about true faith for months. We've defined it a lot. But true faith happens when we grow in our understanding of who God is. And sometimes this is how it's going to come. We grow and mature in our understanding through prayer, through reading the Word, and through the loving actions and words of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've, I've hinted at this, I've said this before, and I feel like I need to say it again. The Christian life is not about living an easy life. Who God has called us to be is not simple, it is not easy, and it is not always fun. If we look at the life of Jesus, we see a lot of laughter, we see a lot of joy. We see a lot of heartache and we see a lot of struggle. And we see Jesus being willing to jump into that heartache and that struggle in order to bring joy and love. And that's who God's called us to be. There is this idea that's prevalent in the United States that if you are a believer in Christ, life will be good for you. Right? And church, I'm saying that if you read Scripture, if you look at the life of Jesus... His goal was not to make his life easy. His goal was to find the broken places and invest in that brokenness to bring healing to the world. That is our role. That is our call. That is what truth faith does in our lives is it makes us look at our own lives and say, this is broken and I need to fix it. God puts that desire in us. My hope as we study through this book is that we would come to a place in our lives where we were willing to say and do hard things. In church, it is evident through the testimony today that we are moving in that direction. As Paul would say, not that we have reached the goal, but we are striving. And today as the band comes up, as we close in, in, a, in a time of worship, y'all do whatever you feel led to do. We'll do the whole set. or I don't, It doesn't matter to me. Follow the Holy Spirit. But I felt like it would be good for us this morning to hear this now and to have some time of reflection. That as we close up this study, as we're talking about what it means to be a person of true faith, as we think about the broken areas in our lives, that we have a moment to contemplate that and to have some real honest conversation with God about His call for your life in those situations. Church, we can only accomplish all of this God-sized activity through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we will allow God to work in us, to grow us, to know Him by experience, if we will allow Him to change our faith into something greater than we've ever known before, He can use us to change this world. And it will start right here in our community, in our homes, in our life groups, in our places of business. But that only happens as we follow His lead as we grow in our understanding of who He is. Let's worship together. Go ahead and stand. Um, we're